This episode is brought to you by This Christmas Season's Hottest Hit, Christmas is All Around, performed by veteran rock king Billy Mack. It may not be good, but it's sure to put you in the Christmas spirit. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of Christmas this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Listeners, and welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the spirit of Christmas alive 365 days a year. I'm Tom. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And I appreciate you going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we wanted last week. So, so we're making our rounds on the holidays, and we are now at a Valentine's Day week, as hard as that is to believe. You guys have Valentine's Day plans? Uh, we're going out this Saturday, and then Valentine's Day itself, we're starting the whole 30 diet. Oh, we just, yes. We figured it would coincide well with Lent and everything, so we're like, let's just go for it. So we're awesome. celebrating early. Have you done it before, Julia? Oh, yeah. How? Is it hard at first? Any tips to get through the first few days? Get used to cooking and get used to dishes. Okay. <laughs> the two biggest crap balls about it. But, you, big ones. but w- if you stick to it, like religiously, do you see results at the end? You do. Okay. And not just wait. So yeah, at the end of it, you'll mm-hmm. sleep better than you've ever slept in your life. Your skin is clear. You, it's, it's, uh, it's the best I've ever felt in my entire life. Awesome. Ever. You'll have, to, you'll have to message me some of the better recipes later this week. I will. I'll do it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have Valentine's Day plans. We get to volunteer up at work. So Doing what? I work for does, um, they let you, it's called Share the Love Day because I work for Love's Travel Stops. And we get to volunteer. We get to select shifts to work and volunteer at the food bank or different things in Oklahoma City for half of our work day. Yeah, I'm excited. And there's a dress-up contest, and it's 80s and 90s themed, so this chick (sighs) is happy. What are you doing? Peg Bundy. Awesome. Oh my gosh. We got to see pictures. (laughs) I'm pretty excited. I'll post them. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing, Tom? Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, Oklahoma is kind of ground zero. We've had more cases of the flu than anywhere else. We've been Hermits, staying inside as much as possible. So considering how that's going, we'll probably just do a uh, dinner at home with the wife and kiddo. Oh, that'll be nice. That sounds great. Yeah. There's a Chick-fil-A here in town that does, uh, it's kind of cheesy, and Christine and I have gone for years. Uh, they do like, they bring out tablecloths, it's candlelight, they have music playing, and it's just regular Chick-fil-A food, but you have to make reservations <laughs> in, in advance. Um, it's oh, super like cheesy, that. super hokey, but it's it's so Christine and I. Um, and I was really hoping to take our daughter this year, but uh, 
I think we'll avoid the flu and stay home. Did you guys watch the Super Bowl by chance or at least the commercials? Yeah. I did watch the Justin Timberlake concert. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I want to say congratulations, Eagles. I'm very happy. Uh, But second of all, uh, the commercial with Peter Dinklage and Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Yes. Which was awesome. One of the best ones. But my dad, so this is the Christmas-related story. He texted me afterwards. So his favorite old-school Christmas special, my mom's with Rudolph, his was the year without a Santa Claus because he loves the Miser Brothers. So he texted me after that commercial, they bit off it, dueling songs of fire and ice. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It made me laugh. It, I know, Anthony, you were as excited as I was to see uh, Tom Brady throw that winning touchdown pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was so happy. <laughs> and that joke is not going to get old. It's not. I, I love all the gifts and memes. It's awesome. <laughs> well, we've got a complicated movie to discuss tonight. We spent some time, guys, talking about... Uh, how we're going to do this because it's really like watching eight little films running uh, parallel. Mm-hmm. Julia, do you want to give us a semblance of a plot synopsis? Yeah, of course. <laughs> all right. Love is truly all around as the characters in eight loosely connected stories fall in and out of love. Some are with right people. Some are with the wrong people. Some are looking to have an affair. Some are in the period of mourning. A capsule summary of reality. Love begins and love ends. They flirt a lot. They are all flirting with love. At all ages and social levels, love is the theme. Romantic love and brotherly love is what brings all of the characters together in an uplifting holiday-themed story. Oh, I like that. I did too. Good synopsis. Good way to bring it all together. I didn't know how else we could go about discussing that because it is, like I said, if you haven't seen the film, um, it's eight storylines running in parallel that are very loosely connected and you go between let's jump in with our histories julia what's your history with this film um i think i only saw it for the first time maybe five or so years ago and it was on tv and i don't even know who i was with but um i liked it immediately like immediately so there's not much of a history with it but but it's one of my favorite movies what about you, Tom? Christine and I saw this movie in the theater while we were dating, and we both loved it. We have seen it several times since. I won't say we've seen it every year, but we do watch it most Christmas seasons. Um, and we both just, we, we do, we really like the movie. It's a, it's a romantic movie that we both enjoy that has all the feels. How about you, Anthony? I saw this movie in theaters on a date, and we both really liked this movie. Um, I've probably seen it every year since. Not necessarily around Christmas time, because um, there are so many overtly Christmas movies in December that I like to watch, so this one always kind of falls to the wayside. But I tend to see it um, some other time throughout the year. For some reason, it's always on TV at other points throughout the year, late night. Um, plus I own it on Blu-ray, but I haven't popped it in in a while. Um, but yeah, I, I still really like this film. Um, I'll just say it now since we're taking all eight storylines one by one. Uh, 
I have very little problems with this film. They're all nitpicks, but uh, the biggest nitpick I have is that some storylines I liked better than others. Uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it doesn't mean they're bad, especially with the acting and the writing. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just nature of the beast when you're covering something with this many characters and plot lines. You're obviously gonna like some more than others. So mm-hmm. yeah, I really like. This and film. I think some of that depends. I think too on if you're watching the TV version versus the. Um, unedited version that does make a, a difference, um, especially in two of the storylines, um, I think. But uh, I like the way we're doing this for the podcast. We're watching it, you know, like you said, there are so many overtly Christmas movies out there that uh, uh, watching it at, at Valentine's Day is a nice way to give us a, uh, some Christmas, put a little Christmas in our February organically. And well, it worked pretty I, I, well. We were talking already earlier and, um, we were, uh, I was in a conversation at Disco 54 and we were saying how this is kind of like the perfect Christmas movie for people who aren't as obsessed with the holidays as we are because the Christmas stuff is there, but it's not smacking you in the face throughout like something like Elf or National Lampoon would be done. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yep. Sure. All right. So just to get the quick stats out of the way, this movie was, uh, came out in 2003. It was written, by, written and directed by Richard Curtis who is no stranger to Hugh Grant. He also did uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, About Time, Pirate Radio, and 24 episodes of the amazing British cult classic TV show, Vicar of Dibley. Do you guys, either of you watch Vicar of Dibley? I love that show. I have never seen it. Julia, I would say make that your number one movie, or number one TV show on your action and item list. It's Don French. Um... And she is just unbelievable. It is, every scene is funny. Um, they, they hit on every topic you can possibly imagine. Um, everything from like running, you know, the finances of a church to having a member who is obviously into bestiality. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nothing is sacred in a good way. I'm kind of it's, questioning my life right now that I haven't watched the show. Well, I'm, I'm glad you are because I am as well. It's, it's, I hadn't seen it either. Christine and her family are really big fans of it, and uh, she got me to watch it. And I, that I, was I one did. of the first things my friends in England made me watch. And um, a lot of ceased, which is also amazing. You would like that if you like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, because they wrote and starred in that show as well. What show? Spaced. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, Simon Pegg. <laughs> what? Oh, I was laughing. I like Simon oh. Pig. Oh, okay. No, that was that was positive. <laughs> uh, the music for this film, which is uh, interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little more later, was written by uh, Craig Armstrong, who did Moulin Rouge, Great Gatsby, Snowden, and Far From the Maddening Crowd. So let's jump in, guys. We're going to take this by discussing the different storylines. And some of them, of course, will overlap. But for the most part, these are going to be kind of uh, like discussing many movies as we've said uh and i started with billy mack and joe billy mack is a washed up british rocker who decides he's going to make it big um each year i guess in in england it, it's a big deal to have the number one christmas song I and mean, that can make or break a career and he releases this really really awful christmas song called love is all around and he knows it's uh, he's very self-aware of what he's releasing and uh it does. It becomes number one. And, and so we see this transformation of a washed up has been rocker. How'd you guys like this storyline? 
Uh, this was one of the ones I didn't care as much for, despite the fact that Bill Nahi, our first Harry Potter reference, by the way, is amazing. Uh, um, he's so funny. It's just, um, compared to some of the other ones, I just, it kind of seemed, not like filler, but I mean, I wasn't as emotionally invested in this story as I was compared to some more romantic ones, but he was really funny. And the song itself is really funny. <laughs> it is. It's hilarious. <laughs> Julia, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, it's it, on the emotional scale, it's weaker. Although I was happy that at the end of it, it was the brotherly love, right? This guy that has all the chicks forever and ever just wanted to be with his his manager. Um, but I I love Bill Nye, and he is so so funny in this role. Like most of my favorite quotes, I think of him. So I like this one a lot, but it doesn't give me the feels, obviously. But you, Tom? I loved the storyline. Um, <laughs> I loved how uh, it, it's a, again, it's a love story, but it's a very unconventional love story. It's it's this this washed up has been has a manager who's really devoted to him, and throughout most of it is overlooked. And at the end, he comes around and he realizes what a great thing he has. He's supposed to go to an Elton John concert and leave his his best friend slash manager. And then uh, he realizes what's important, turns around. He has this epiphany moment, comes back and decides to hang out with his, I don't know, with his, with his friend. And it, it is, it's a brotherly love. And it's not something that's usually captured in film. And so uh, I like the different take on, on what love is and how love plays out with this storyline. It isn't as strong or as moving as some of the other ones. No, definitely not. Um, I said it's the first Harry Potter reference. I just forgot to mention who he played. He plays the Minister of Magic in the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Rufus Scrimgeour. Rufus Scrimgeour. He was also in the other comedy that every British actor was in in the, the 2000s, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh, was he? He was. He was. He was amazing in it. He was uh, Starty Bartfist. I wasn't uh, a fan of that adaptation, but the acting was good. Oh, I loved the ad. I loved it. I I was really sad they didn't continue making the rest of them. Yeah, that always makes me sad. Oh, it was Especially so good. Especially when it's a series I love. That was another one that just. I mean, it had Martin Freeman and Bill Nighy and Alan Rickman. So I have to ask you, Tom. Is Love is All Around going to be our outro music? Oh, it definitely is. I don't know what else would be our outro music. <laughs> I, I was just making sure. I, I do want to say about that, though. So after I watched the movie, I YouTubed the track from the soundtrack. And it sounds even worse on the soundtrack than it was in the film. I don't know if it's the score of the film working in conjunction with the sound mixing and his voice or whatever. It sounds better in the film than it does in the soundtrack. The soundtrack sounds like 10 times worse. It really does. Oh, I'm totally adding this to my Christmas playlist, too. After watching it this time, I'm like, yeah, I, I need this laugh when I'm listening to my Christmas music. That, that, that's why I YouTubed it. I was downloading it. I was like, this sounds even worse than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know his buddy in this. I didn't know the guy who played Joe. Gregor Fisher. I didn't even know Gregor Fisher. He looks familiar, but I don't know why. Probably just from this movie, honestly. You know who he kind of looks like? He kind of looks like um, the guy who he was on, like, according to Jim, he's in Game of Thrones in the first season as um, King. Uh -huh. What's his name? 
He um, was, he had that he had that show. He had his own TV show still standing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because I initially thought this was a second. This he's uh, been in other Christmas movies. I thought he was in um, that movie with Michael Keaton, Jack Frost. I thought he was the f- member of the band with him, but it's they just turn out to look similar. They don't. Uh, they do. It's not him. He does look a lot like Mark Addy. A lot like Mark Addy. So I think that's about all we can exhaust with this storyline. Um, yeah, I feel like there's not really much there to dig into emotionally. <laughs> no, no. Um, so the next one we have is the Juliet, Peter, and Mark story. And Anthony, do you want to give us a rundown of what's going on here? Sure. Um, Juliet and Peter get married. Uh, Mark is Peter's best friend and best man. He videotapes their wedding. Uh Juliet kind of feels like he doesn't like her, but turns out uh, he's actually kind of in love with her and really into her. The videotape is all close-ups of her and beautiful shots, and it's really nice. And yeah, it culminates in that really iconic scene that's been parodied a lot, where he shows up at uh, <laughs> he shows up at their house and plays Christmas music uh, with the signs and. Tells her, uh, tell your husband it's carolers and confesses his love for her just because it's Christmas and she needs to know. Um, he's not expecting her to act on it or whatever. He just needs to know. And uh, she kisses him and he walks away and gets closure. And I don't know what Carl would think of his dad here. I really don't. <laughs> I, actually, before we really dive into it, Disco 54 did want to know... He always wonders, like, what Americans think of Andrew Lincoln. Like, because we, most Americans know him, he's most iconic over here for Rick Grimes on The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. So he said he always finds it funny watching Love Actually or some of his earlier Brit work, uh, wondering what Americans think of him when they see him. Uh, my one reaction is just he looks like a baby. <laughs> Without the beard, it's, it's, so he clean. looks completely different. <laughs> Did, did you guys see the quasi sequel last year, Red Nose Day? Actually, Mm-mm. it was. Um, I think so. It, um, yeah, it, it was really good. Yeah, what happened in it? I vaguely, vaguely, it, vaguely remember it. Parody for Red Nose Day, but uh, they got all the actors back and just kind of updated the audiences on where they were in their storyline. So, uh, but he shows up at the house full on Rick Grimes beard, looking <laughs> older with the note cards. And he's like, I have a beard now. <laughs> and <he's> just, <laughs> it was just really funny, which is why I brought it up. So I recommend watching that if you haven't yet, especially if you love this film, cause it's really funny. But, um, Oh, I was going to say, I love seeing him uh, without his over the top Southern dialect. Carl. 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 <laughs> um, no, I really like the storyline. I feel like, I don't know if in today's uh, where we are as a society and culture, they could do it necessarily the same way. Just uh, because in Andrew Lincoln's own words, he had problems with it when he shot it because he was like, it's a little bit stalkery. But I, I had no problems with it. I found it romantic. And there's actually this theme that goes through all the stories, and we've seen it before, uh, this whole idea of telling people how you feel because it's Christmas. Uh, That comes up in a few of these stories, and we covered it in the office, actually. Jim wanted to – he wrote Pam a card 
because Christmas is the time to tell people how you feel in his words. So I like that mm-hmm. theme. But yeah. There's a slight difference when to me when he's married to when she's married to his best friend. Yeah, well, true. That just goes beyond stalkery to kind of a jerk. <laughs> I don't think that's wedding, supposed to be my I... takeaway. <laughs> I love the wedding. The it's beautiful, but I also think I like that so much because it's before this is not my favorite storyline, by the way. Um, because it, yeah, it's before all the kind of weirdness that Rick Grimes brings in a little bit to this, but the wedding was beautiful. And I love, I love the idea that he was giving so much to them to make this wedding great. And then when you find out he's pining for her, I'm kind of like, Oh, this could go lots of really wrong ways for me. And in the end, I mean, I think the kiss in the alley was weird. Yes. Um, but I quite liked the signs and I understand wanting to get it off his chest. And I like him walking away and saying, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I just could have done without the kiss. That seems awkward. That's what, that's what made the most weird for me. If it had not been the kiss, I don't think I would have found it really weird. But it's funny thinking Rick Grimes is the Shane in this relationship. (laughs) 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 But, um, it it, it it is kind of funny just to think of think of him as an actor in this situation, given you know the fact that in every episode you know somebody's trying to kill him and his son, and Carl dies, and so so, so 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 is it the best friend thing that makes it weird for you guys? Because I'm just thinking back, like we didn't find it weird when Jim was pining for Pam when she was at Rory and made a move on her when she was at Rory and things like that. They weren't married. Well, Roy was a dirtbag also. Well, that's true. One. That's true. I mean, yeah, they- yeah, no, Peter was such a good guy. I think that that had a little bit to do with me. And mm-hmm. then it was kind of like the extra step of how into her he was. Right. You know, which I don't know. It tinkered right on sweet and creepy. It's the, not blatantly. I don't like it. You know, it's just, uh, the, it was just a little off. The thing that made it a little more sweet for me was he did say, oh, I lost the wedding tape. He wasn't going right. to confront her about it. And she just kind of mm-hmm. drew it out of him. So that was what made it more right. okay for me than had he not done that. Right. So I totally agree with that. At no point did I feel like he was trying to take her away from his best friend. No. The whole time I felt like he was just burdened by these feelings and he needed to, you know, be free of them, basically get to that point where he was okay. So it I liked have, that. I appreciate that. It did give me a little bit of the, 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 or I felt a little homage to say anything Mm-hmm. You know, John Cusack box. with the boombox. With the boombox, yeah. <laughs> it definitely uh, had. It definitely was reminiscent of that to me. So I uh, used this as a template when I told Sarah's into her. I didn't. Did use, I didn't use. I didn't use the cue cards, but I was burdened with my feelings, and she was with a boyfriend of four years. Oh, wow. oh! This was before we met in person, and then uh, five months later, we met in person. So. <laughs> Wow. I didn't know it was a not in person romance. I was see I fell for her heart. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's sweet. 
I have to say in this, this is one of my favorite Kira Knightley performances. I liked Kira Knightley in this a lot more than I usually do. I'm not a big Kira Knightley fan, but she did a really good job here. What are your guys' opinions on the whole Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman lookalike thing? What? There's a whole like so many people think they look alike, and I don't see it at all. I don't either. I've never. Uh-uh. I would never. I would never confuse the two of them. No, <laughs> me either. Me either. The only time Nat- Natalie Portman ever resembled her was in the very uh, the Phantom Menace, and that was only like the briefest resemblance. It's not even like a close thing. So I don't get like that at all. I don't know what this Phantom Wasn't Menace Kira is. Wasn't Kira in... Oh, yeah, she was the do- body double, so that was yeah. the why. yeah. That's probably why people thought that. But, I, mean, I, mean, I can see know. her playing a body double in... But I don't, I don't know what, so what is Rose this Byrne, Phantom Menace you speak of. I don't think they look like now. Was Rose Byrne one of the body doubles? Yeah, she was I didn't pet. know that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love Rose yeah. Byrne. She's such a fun actress. She's a fun actress. Next up we had... Jamie's story. Julia, do you want to get us up to speed on this story? Yeah. So um, Jamie is played by Colin Firth, who he is super Firthy in this movie, like he is in most of his movies. (laughs) And I love the Firth. Um, So he's a writer and he's totally in love with his girlfriend. Um, And right at the beginning, he's rushing off to go somewhere and she's basically pushing him out the door. She's sick in bed. Um, He's just like seriously in love with her, keeps telling her how much she loves him. He loves her. He goes to the event that ends up being the wedding we just referred to in the last storyline and comes home a little early from the reception, finds his brother, is surprised to find his brother at his house, but they start gabbing a little bit. And then here's in the background, his girlfriend yelling for his brother to come back in there. She's bucket naked and is wanting to get down. So he is devastated. <laughs> can, can every, t- every time there's a scene like that in a movie, can you be the one to describe it? Because, because it's awesome. <laughs> was it the bucket naked that did it? <laughs> it, it, it and, and get down. <laughs> and get down. <laughs> um, so, um, so Jamie goes to a French cottage to write and focus on himself and get over his heart being broken. And a housekeeper is hired for him there. Her name's Aurelia and she only speaks speaks Portuguese. So you have awkward Colin Firth attracted to said Aurelia and he's made extra awkward by they don't speak the same language. And it is a glorious story. It ends up coming around to where he learns Portuguese, she learns English, and they end up together at the end. And can you tell I love this storyline? Can you tell? This is, this is my favorite. <laughs> I love. Oh, second, of it this is my second favorite. Second favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even decided what's my favorite yet, but I love Colin Firth, and oh, I feel Colin like Firth. if any other man was dropped into this role, I would not have loved it as much. He he definitely does a lot with the role. Yeah. Um, like he. Um, so this is not my favorite storyline. I just find this, these scenes are very slow. Mm. Not again. Not that they're bad. I'm just drawn to other storylines. Um, but Colin Firth definitely elevates it, and he's always fun to watch. And so I really like him 
as an actor, and I liked his character. It's just I found the writing, until the climax of the storyline, kind of a little slow going for me. Mm-hmm. I love the climax of the storyline, though, when he's marching through uh, the little foreign town. I guess it's in Italy. Portuguese. Portugal. Yeah. Um, everybody's and, uh, following everyone's him. following him. I found, I found that hilarious. And all their little asides <laughs> in a foreign language. So funny. Yeah. And but, that total uh, game of telephone. How by the end of it, they're like, I heard that he's going to eat Aurelia. Oh, I love it. And it's kind of like a retelling. Every time I see it, I think about that other Christmas story where the guy sells his pocket watch to buy a hair barrette for his wife and his wife sells her hair to buy a chain for his pocket watch. Oh, the gift of the match. Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll see. I haven't read it. So is that what that is? Yeah, you need to read it. It's so good. We need to read it on here. I think it's it's gotta be public. We've gotta do it. It is. Okay. <gasps> Maybe our Christmas episode. Ooh. So I definitely have to read it now because apparently I know a little bit of it. I just haven't read it. But this always reminds me of that because he goes through all the effort to learn Portuguese for her and she ends up surprising him that she had also learned English and so they really love each other and it makes me so happy. I love it. They're so awkward, both of them. It's great. <laughs> when, uh, her it's- subtitles when they're in the water crack me up. Because she's like, I hope I didn't get into this blank and freezing water to save some crap that my mother could have written. And he at the same time, the pacing is just so perfect to me because at the same time, he's like, it's really not good. It's pretty terrible, actually. That, <laughs> and he's responding to all of hers, but in a different way. It gave me so much anxiety as, a, as an aspiring writer to see like the work go into the water like that when he didn't have a backup. Like I was like, no. I was just, that's what I was focused on. Well, this time but yeah it, it was a very funny scene um the writing and the subtitles like you said oh i love that i love this storyline if you're not making a backup you kind of have it coming sorry he had a typewriter there's something nice about a typewriter <laughs> um so this storyline and a storyline we'll get to in a little while the uh, prime minister storyline those are the first two conceived for the movie because they were conceived as separate movies by the director and he realized the he realized the themes of love and stuff were kind of the same and these unlikely romances. So he decided to combine them and that's when he started thinking out and, you know, coming up with the rest. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. I had no idea. So those are the those, first two. Those both would have made very good movies by themselves, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, that was that was one of my only complaints about this film as I was watching is that I could have been more invested in several of the storylines as their own films. All right. So our next storyline is Harry, Karen, and Mia. Harry is Alan Rickman, a.k.a. Snape. Um, our biggest Harry Potter reference. Uh, and I think probably undoubtedly 99% of Harry Potter fans' favorite character. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have serious misgivings about anyone who does not love the character of Snape or Alan Rickman's portrayal of Snape. Mm-hmm. I think his is one of the most to the books. Mm-hmm. I, I think we talked about it before, but it's funny because when I that's not how I pictured him, but now that's only how I picture him. I pictured him in the books. Like, um, I think, especially in the earlier books, he's a little more hot-tempered. And then he calmed down 
later on. And then Alan Rickman brought that calm to the films. And I always wonder if J.K. Rowling kind of was inspired by him a little bit. So <laughs> Alan Rickman, is a, he's at a design agency. And he's got a new secretary, Mia. He's been married to his wife, who is Emma Thompson. She plays Karen. And she stayed home to raise their children. Mia is throwing herself at Harry. And he does nothing to dissuade her. He lets it continue. And um, as the company Christmas party is held at Mark's gallery, he not all, uh, the at the company Christmas party, which is held at, at this guy Mark's gallery, he asks if Mark is her boyfriend. Uh, and he dances closely with her. And then um, he does one of the worst things I think I've seen in a movie. And my heart just kind of drops. He goes to a jewelry store and buys this expensive necklace for his for this girl from Rowan Atkinson uh, <laughs> um, who is, uh, I completely forgot was in this movie until I watched it this time. I mean, I, he's just, he's another unlike, Harry Potter connection. He is. What? He was the first choice for Lord Voldemort before. He Ray was supposed to be, yep. Oh, okay. But he uh, wasn't actually in any of the movies. No, no he was, he was that's supposed like a behind to be. the scenes type Could connection. Could you imagine if he had been Voldemort? <laughs> <laughs> For one, every time he opens his mouth, it feels wrong because I'm a big Mr. Bean fan, right? That's yeah, me too. I love him. Yeah. Anytime he talks, I'm like, no. Why is he talking? Oh my gosh, Voldemort. I didn't know that. Yeah. That would be tragic. <laughs> it would have been okay, a very weird. Yeah, sorry, Tom. I just no, like, that's okay. I think that's why I was surprised that he was in this because he's such a subdued character and usually he is so... He's so big. He's so full of life. Um, anyway, his wife, Karen, just finds the box and she assumes it's a gift for her. But then on Christmas, he gives her a similar box. And instead of the necklace, it's just a Joni Mitchell CD. Oh, painful. And you just see her entire, I mean, you see her break. Mm-hmm. Um, she confronts him. And asks him what he wants to do uh, with her. He does ask for forgiveness. And she responds that he's made a mockery of their marriage and of her. Yikes. That's such a hard storyline. Just in general. But it is so beautifully acted. Particularly by Emma Thompson. Mm -hmm. Which she can do no wrong in my eyes. Like ever. But the way that she does so little to show so much emotion in a few of these scenes. Even the last one at Heathrow airport is just, it gives me chills. This whole storyline. I hate, I hate Alan Rickman in this movie. I am just disgusted by him, which good job because how I can love him so much in one movie and then hate him so much. It's fantastic acting. Speaks to his prolific acting skills. I really, it does. So, so I, I really like this storyline, not because of the content, but because I could sit and watch Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson watch paint dry as they have a conversation completely stationary for three hours because the two of them are such legendary, prolific, iconic actors. They can do no wrong in any movie they're in. They're so good. So mm-hmm. even though I didn't like the whole affair storyline, like it was hard That's to good. watch. Yeah, well, it's it was hard to it was hard to watch, and it was supposed to be hard to watch, uh, but um, 
I chose. I did. Fi- I did like the scenes that had to do with the storyline. I liked watching. I liked whenever they were focusing on the storyline. Basically, I. I don't think we would have felt that same way if it weren't for how powerfully Emma Thompson played it, especially that Absolutely scene where not. she opened the Joni Mitchell CD. Yeah. So I painful. Mean, so heartbreaking. No, no words at all. None. She didn't say anything at all about it, but her body, the, her, she, she just embodied what it is to act her, her entire, her face, her body, her, you could see her muscles in her body change in reaction to what she saw. Oh, it just broke my heart. So, well, so then when she's in the bedroom was even worse for me because it's like she's looking around and she's realizing that one way or the other that is all absolutely different than it was 10 minutes prior everything mm-hmm. yep. i mean and you can just see it in her face that evaluation the pictures on the bed and like i mean everything is different nothing will be the same and it's all changed by that one thing so, so before we get to Debbie Downer here, I just do want to call attention to how much I love Rowan Atkinson in his scene where he's wrapping the gift. I just crack up every time I'm watching that. Like three shaking minutes. forever. <laughs> yeah, shaking forever. And like the more uh, Harry, Alan Rickman's character, rushes him, it seems like the more he slows down. Uh, when he takes out the holly and Alan Rickman's like, no, no holly, no. <laughs> it's just so funny. And I just want to applaud him for bringing a bit of levity to this storyline. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, that's the other thing that we have to remember with this move, with this scene, he buys this necklace for this woman. He's considering having an affair with, with his wife. Yeah, they're they're shopping together. I'm gonna make you hate this scene anymore because I have a bit of trivia for this whole storyline. So I'm gonna make you hate this storyline even more. Oh no! So for many years after this movie's release, viewers have argued about whether Harry actually cheated on his wife Karen with his coworker Mia. In December 2015, Emma Freud, who is the movie script editor and the life partner of Richard Curtis, the director, confirmed on her Twitter account that it was indeed a full-fledged sexual affair. And not just an inappropriate but non-physical flirtation, as some viewers assumed it was. Freud also confirmed that Karen, Karen and Harry, their their romantic name Carrie, stayed married after Karen discovered the affair. But home wouldn't be as happy as it once was. So they didn't well, have a happy ending there. That was my question at the end: Is are they still together or yes. not? Mm-hmm. So because that I, question's never answered, and it's not clear at the end too, right. which I think is kind of nice sometimes i can really appreciate when movies leave stuff open-ended right Mm -hmm. but from her face i can't tell you know yeah so apparently they've moved on or she's fine because she's making it work apparently they had more stuff for this storyline and the others and completely discarded storylines and a part of it was a full-fledged affair and stuff like that that just so much got cut for time Mm. so although i don't know the Never mind. Okay. I will say, Karen, let's go back to Emma Thompson real quick. Her interactions with her kids and her brothers, I love those. And all of this happening in her personal life made her meeting up with her prime minister brother at the end so much more powerful as well. Mm -hmm. Right? When she's like, I'm really glad you're here at the pageant when he shows up. So I was very happy for that as well. 
and I don't know. She's one of those characters I have really hopes hopes for good things happening in the future. It's one of those movies where I'm like, I really hope Karen gets something good happening to her. I have another bit of trivia about Emma Thompson in this film. To make her look more frumpy compared to Mia, she's actually wearing a fat suit, which you would never be able to tell because she's not fat in the movie, but they actually Mm -hmm. had padding and stuff on her to make her look more frumpy and heavier than uh, Mia. So, yep. Ugh, Mia. Mm-hmm. Floozy. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can we move on to a much brighter storyline? Yeah, let's move on to one something of my happier. favorites. Well, then why don't you tell us about David and Natalie? So, sure. So David is Karen's brother, and he's a newly elected prime minister of Britain, and he's kind of this... Uh, cool young youngish aloof prime minister kind of different than they've had in a while um and he kind of starts at downing street the same day as a junior member of the household natalie and uh they have kind of an awkward encounter the first day uh, <laughs> but they, they hit it off right away um so the u.s president played by billy bob thornton uh comes to visit and after an amazing press conference in which he, uh, David stands up for his country and uh, makes a name for himself, he runs into Natalie and the president uh, making out in the back room. <laughs> and uh, Natalie seems ashamed. Uh, the president doesn't. And um, David kind of views Natalie as a distraction, so he has her reassigned. But he finds a Christmas card from her on Christmas Eve declaring that she declaring that natalie has feelings for him basically and she wanted to tell him because again christmas is a time to tell people how you feel um so david takes his car to a bad area of london because she told him earlier in the film she lived on this really bad street which is a really long street and he goes door to door looking for her um he finds he finds her on her way out with uh, her family to the school pageant because she was doing costumes or something for it. Mm. And um, he goes with her to the school. He runs into Karen again, his sister, who's really happy to see him because at this point Karen found out that her husband was having an affair and was just really down. So her busy, famous prime minister brother showed up for her kids in her mind, but (laughs) really he showed up with Natalie and uh, they tried to be discreet at the show after they've talked about their feelings and everything. But uh, I love this scene. The curtain rises as they uh, are kissing backstage and uh, they just kind of wave awkwardly to the crowd and, it's really happy and this is one of my favorite storylines in the movie because it's just so fun and so funny and oh, I love it. I love uh, this one too. I do too. I do and too. Hugh Grant's another Harry Potter connection because that's who they wanted as Gilderoy Lockhart originally and it didn't work out. I uh, did not know that. Yeah. I, they, 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 they thought it would be funny to cast him as Gilderoy Lockhart because Hugh Grant is so famous in British cinema. They wanted him to stand out amongst the teachers at Hogwarts that much because Gilderoy Lockhart's supposed to be this really famous oh my gosh. guy. And I think it would have been hilarious, but uh, they couldn't work out scheduling or something. That was really stupid on Hugh Grant's part. Almost as stupid as the time he bought a prostitute. <laughs> Almost. 
Especially He's when you're not- married to Elizabeth Flippin' Hurley. Really? <laughs> Shoot. Are you blind, you idiot? You think this is. is another iconic moment from the movie that I think of. Like, so when I think of Love Actually, I think of Andrew Lincoln's note cards. And uh-huh. I think of Hugh Grant dancing through Downey Street. Uh-huh. And he is just so funny when he whips around at the end of his dance to come face to face with a housekeeper and or assistant or whoever. And rather than missing a beat, he's just like, can you get rearrange my schedule for tomorrow? Like so funny. <laughs> he played it so well. Oh. I love that scene. It makes me so happy. And in the red, the red nose day sequel, he dances again. Uh, but because we're how many years out now, he's older and he hurts his back while dancing and Natalie gets all <laughs> exasperated with him. <laughs> I love Natalie. She's so charming and real and down to earth. And I love that she has a total potty mouth. Oh, yeah. Such a funny character. One thing we missed in the plot synopsis of this little storyline is um, the kiss with Billy Bob Thornton was not consensual. Mm -mm. I didn't get that feeling either. Well, he was a total sleazeball, which also made me laugh that the American president, the way that Americans Uh are depicted in this movie is so funny it me. is well the president the president they said in the behind the scenes stuff trivia was his sleaziness was based on bill clinton and the way he bullied the britain was based on george bush and they mm. kind of viewed it as fantasy fulfillment of tony blair standing up to bush uh so they viewed it as fantasy fulfillment so it was, it was fan fiction for the brits <laughs> ba- bas- basically the most uh, British bit of fan fiction I've ever heard. <laughs> but but I do think it's funny because Tony Blair did respond to it, <laughs> and he just he said, "I know there's a bit of us that would like me to do a Hugh Grant in Love Actually and tell America where to get off. But the difference between a film and real life is that in real life, there's the next day, the next year, the next lifetime to contemplate the ruinous consequences of easy applause." So, um, yeah, I, I just basically he said, "I'm a coward." <laughs> No, yeah, Julia, Natalie is great. I just find her so real. Mm-hmm. So the first time they meet and she <laughs> keeps accidentally cursing as he's trying to relax her, that was really real to me. <laughs> like, just kind of, uh, oh, at least I didn't say this. Oh, crap, I just said that. And yeah, it was just so funny. I loved it. Yeah, I love it. It was, she is great. Yeah. That whole storyline. And, oh. and I really... So the unsung hero in the storyline to me is his driver or bodyguard. Oh, <laughs> when, <down> specifically. <laughs> when he, he, when he is, okay. So this is, I'm just gonna, it's one of my favorite parts <laughs> of the entire film when he's going door to door knocking and he carols to the little girls and he starts singing good King. Winslow's loss. Yeah. Turns around to get his bodyguard to chime in with him and his bodyguard has the most beautiful baritone voice not only is it unexpected which makes it funny but the look of disbelief hugh grant shoots him before turning back around (laughs) so funny that one face that he oh god never fails to make me laugh out loud and i need to find a gif of it because it's so funny i agree (laughs) yeah Oh, I anyway. love that part. That part's so great. If that street was supposed to be so terrible, like none of the people living on that street look sketchy to me, by yeah, the way. Right? Like you should have thought they would have 
Uh, Except the hussy secretary, she lived down that street. Yeah, it would have. I think it would could have thrown in another door and maybe like a rough looking druggy type guy opened it or something. Yeah. Out of out of all the plot lines, I feel like me personally, this is one of the ones I would have liked to have seen expanded the most into its own film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what they did have of this one felt very rushed. Yes, mm-hmm. I wanted more for sure. Julia, do you want to lead us off for with Daniel, Sam, Joanna, and Carol? Uh, one of my other favorite British men, actually not British, but Irish. Why, yes, I do want to do that. Um, <laughs> so the storyline is Liam Neeson. Um, Liam Neeson's wife has just recently died, and he is now the sole caregiver of his stepson, Sam, played by Thomas Sangster. If you are a Phineas and Ferb fan out there, he is the voice of Ferb. And he's I- also in their stuff, but like, Ferb is my favorite. I think Phineas and Ferb is awesome, and I don't have kids or anything like that. They have an amazing Christmas special, by the way, that we need to cover at some point. Oh, we need to cover that. Um, So this whole storyline is Daniel, Liam Neeson, navigating the waters of being a widower with a stepson. So he can't afford to fall apart, losing his wife that he loves desperately. Um, because he has the stepson in the mix. Well, the stepson's kind of mini storyline beyond that is he's in love. He's not just mourning the death of his mother, but his bigger issue is he's in love with this girl at school. So it's nice because then Liam Neeson's character can focus on channeling this kind of love he's had with his wife that's just died into his son. So it's a great story because you get that father-son mixture as well as, you know, love. All these storylines are all about love. So um, Sam, the son, ends up uh, learning the drums because he has this big plan to woo the girl Joanna that he loves at school. Music is really important to her. It culminates at the end in the big pageant where he plays the drums like a rock star and, um, and she sings beautifully and it, it falls flat for him because he thinks that she's not returning his favor. But his dad kind of pulls a little, uh, we bought a zoo, one moment of insanity kind of thing. And he's like, let's go after her because, you know, love is worth sacrificing for. And they chase her to the airport. Um, Sam, the son, runs through, you know, runs through the gates and, and, comes up on her before she gets on the airplane to go on her vacation or whatever and basically tells her that he loves her and she returns his feelings and it's very sweet and it's it's a really cool view on a lot of these other storylines that same theme because it's a dad through his son and plus you get a little Claudia Schiffer at the end where you know that Liam Neeson ends up with Claudia Schiffer which is magical (laughs) by the way Plus, the son's storyline is so innocent and pure because it's young love, which I find really cute. And it is. And in the Red Nose Day special, him and her are engaged. So, gosh, I need to rewatch that. I need to watch it. Yeah, it's it's really well worth it. It's only fifteen minutes, so ten fifteen minutes. I need to pull that out. This was such a sweet story. It was cute. This is one of my favorites as well. And all I could think when uh, Liam Neeson is coaching him is I just remember uh, Sebastian from The Little Mermaid singing Kiss the Girl. <laughs> like that just kept going through my head over and over again. I Yeah. So. And so this is also, is it Karen's friend? I thought it was Karen's, I guess it's not her brother. Why did I think that? 
Yeah, I for some reason thought that too, but I guess it's a friend. Okay. So they have a scene at the beginning. Well, first off, when he, you first see Liam Neeson, he's calling Karen to talk and she's busy with like mothery stuff. And I love that she's like, it's really kind of not a good time, but is that okay to say to you given your wife's just died? And he's like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I love it when they get together later and they're sitting in the kitchen and it's like the true grieving moment, right? Like the, I'm here for you and all of that. And they're eating frosted flakes together out of the box. Yeah. That was really, yeah. So, so it's not Rowan Atkinson, Atkinson makes another appearance in this mm-hmm. storyline, and he kind of inadvertently delays, uh, distracts the security guard. So, um, what's the kid's name? Sam can Sam. run past and find the love of his life. And I think that was a larger part of a story that was cut where Rowan Atkinson's character is going to be revealed to be a Christmas angel, and uh. No. You kind of, I kind of got that vibe anyway, watching the film because he never actually boards or goes through security. He just kind of gives up. Oh, I guess I can't find the boarding pass and walks away. Like he just and that kind funny of funny little look on his face too. Yeah, like he could have kind of showed up at the right moment to let him through, and then. Mm-hmm. So I liked that, even though it was cut. Like I kind of still watch it with the idea that oh, he's this little Christmas angel showing up. So our next one is Sarah, Carl, and Michael, and uh, mm-hmm. Sarah is. She's an American who works at Harry's graphic design company, and she's been in love with the company's creative director, Carl, for years. At the Christmas party, they finally connect, and he drives her home. They kiss. He goes up to her apartment. And then Sarah, who is played by Laura Linney, gets a phone call from her mentally ill brother, Michael, who's calling her from a mental uh, hospital. Um, we see her struggling with you know, being his primary emotional support and, and his caregiver, when she, you know, she goes to visit him and he physically attacks her. It's just, it's a very difficult place for her to be. And she has this chance to be happy, you know, something she's wanted for so long, but she ends up ending things with Carl so she can sit on the phone and listen to her brother during his breakdown. It's really sad at the end when they're both working late in the office. And when Carl goes to leave, he wishes her Merry Christmas and leaves. And then Michael calls Sarah right away and she, she goes to stay with him. So this, she, sacri- she sacrificed her romantic love for her love for her brother. This one wasn't one of my favorites, but I love Laura Linney and she can do no wrong in my book. I think she's an incredible actress. I'd, I'll just pop in my one bit of trivia here. Laura Linney said she wished that her character didn't pick up the phone while Carl was in her apartment, which i glad she did because I like that love between the sister and brother when the brother had no one else, but I didn't because there's an unhealthy codependency there that's causing her to be her life to be crippled and stifled. Yeah, yeah, um, I totally get that too. Which broke which breaks my heart because she's such a nice person and she can't say no to her brother and you just wanted at some point I was hoping I was really hoping at that scene in the office when he's getting ready to leave, I was hoping they were going to kiss and they were gonna gonna get back to, they were gonna get together and something was gonna happen. Yeah, that would have made it a lot better for me, I think, uh, in my book. Even if, even if she had answered, but it just it broke my heart. No, I, I totally get that. I, I think why I didn't mind it so much was because we had all these other romantic love stories throughout right. the film that it was, I liked the little family love story. And, and this that, yeah, is probably, yeah, true for scores of people, especially yeah. at the holiday season when it is that sacrificial love for a lot right. of people. Totally. Yeah. Not my favorite because it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But And there's no happy ending. There's no closure. Yeah. 
nothing like our next story. <laughs> oh, I can't <laughs> wait to talk about this. Continuing the American Jesus. Girls uh, discussion earlier about how Americans are depicted in this movie. <laughs> uh, Anthony, <laughs> you want to introduce us to Colin and Toby? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So this is the kind of... Um, <laughs> Actually, it's kind of like the American raunchy comedy plot of this movie. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so, it's funny given some of the uh, guest stars in this plot line who all starred in those types of movies. But anyway, Colin and Tony are two friends in... And Colin has been trying unsuccessfully to woo English women. He just one day ups and decides to tell his friend Tony he's going to con- he's going to go to an America to America <laughs> where he is convinced his Englishness and his accent will make him like royalty over there and convince he'll just have no problem with women <laughs> so he just flies to Wisconsin randomly and he walks into a bar and is immediately swarmed by three women because of his British accent <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and they uh, invite him. <laughs> they are not intelligent. They they are not intelligent. They're very loose. They invite him back to their house, but unfortunately, they don't have a lot of money, so they only have one bed that the three <laughs> that the three of them share with their fourth roommate, Harriet. Colin gladly goes back to go sleep with them. It kind of ends. He goes back to England with Harriet as his girlfriend. And um, Tony's just in disbelief when he picks up from the airport. So, so this, uh, this, this isn't story, my, guys. This isn't one of my favorites, but it's just so funny. And I will say that his plan works because so many women do love British guys. And I'll say from experience that it works in reverse too. You go over there with an American accent and women love you as well. Really? Yeah. Anyway, but the, 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 the actresses they got to play the American girls. Alicia American Cuthbert. raunchy film like uh, alumni. You have Alicia Cuthbert from The Girl Next Door. Uh, Shannon Elizabeth from American Pie fame. <laughs> January Jones, who I'm not sure of any... Yeah, I know her from Mad Men and X-Men First Class, but uh, I'm not sure if she did anything raunchy. And I don't even know the other one, Ivana Milic-Sivek. She was in a Bond movie. Which one? A Daniel Craig Bond. She was the one who almost got her arm chopped off in the hotel room with the weepy eye, the bleeding eye guy. He was the first one. Yeah, that, one. right. I know which one you're talking about. That's mm-hmm. cool. The surprise one at the end is... Denise Richards, <laughs> queen of questionable marriage choices. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. What? That yeah. was love. That was love. <laughs> that was you're so just, much winning. You're just jealous that your husband doesn't whatever tiger blood, whatever that <laughs> crazy thing was. <laughs> this this storyline was just it was it was fodder, it was funny. It was pure but, comedy. The, out but, of all the storylines, this is probably one of the easiest to lift out and nothing would change. Mm-hmm. Oh, nothing at all would change. Um, and it, it's just there for us to, to have humor and for them to make fun of Americans. So, Let's so be honest. I, so 
interesting bit about trivia about this storyline. Chris, Chris Marshall, who plays Colin, mm-hmm. uh, returned his paycheck for the day that uh, he was undressed by three women in the house. So even though we only see their shadowy silhouettes, I guess they were really undressing him because he said he has such a great time having three girls undress him for 21 takes. He uh, said that was enough payment and he returned his check for the day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, by the way, speaking about, just before we get into the next one, which is also going to deal with a lot of nudity, the director and the studio actually got into a little bit of an argument, which the director ended up winning. They're, the studio believed, argued the point, we'll make a lot more money and get a PG-13 rating if you cut back on the nudity. And the director basically said, my 15-year-old self would never forgive me if I made a movie with no nudity in it. So I'm keeping <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oddly enough, storyline has zero nudity. Which one? The Colin one. Oh yeah, no, totally. It was all, it was all the shadows. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The next storyline is not the case. Um, <laughs> the next storyline is so creepily sweet and warm. It's about John and Judy, who are, uh, it's played by Martin Freeman and uh, Joanna Page. I have to just pause and say I love Martin Freeman. I oh, mean, me too. we know him from the British office. He was he played Sherlock. Bilbo Baggins, but He's he will Sherlock. always, always, mm-hmm. always be Watson. Watson. Always, oh. always. He embodied everything I could have possibly imagined from Watson. Not to mention that 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 uh, he and uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Are also in Marvel together and The Hobbit. The two, the three of them love sticking to their franchises together. Marvel, yeah. Like he, so, so he was in Captain America: Civil War. He was one of the agents, and he's in Black Panther. He's like a government envoy to Wakanda. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. Yeah, he does oh, have he's... a name that with a, that corresponds to a character in the comics. I just forget it, but yeah. So he is a Marvel alum, just like Benedict Cumberbatch. Hmm. Nice. He's he's amazing. Oh, he is just so good. Yeah, I, I love Martin Freeman too. But yeah, he's so funny. They're professional body doubles for films, <laughs> and they meet during Simula- simulated sexy. <laughs> they start talking and having just normal conversations while they're going through the motions of appearing to be intimate in coitus. <laughs> so, uh, do you know what that reminded me of? Big Bang Theory, I hope. Well, I was going to say Seinfeld, because you never really <laughs> saw Jerry and Elaine together, but they implied they had a really casual thing where she'd like do the crossword in bed or read the paper. They'd have normal conversation when they were having coitus. <laughs> and it was just, so uh, that just made me really laugh, because I'm a big Seinfeld fan. How funny. So it, while they're in this scene, they just... They're talking like normal. As a matter of fact, John tells Judy, you know, it's nice to have someone he can just chat to while they're acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they're, they're undressed and they're in these what would normally be very compromising positions, <laughs> they're perfectly comfortable. But then when you get them out of that scene, they're so timid. Yeah. It's very uh, cute and sweet. They attend the, the Christmas pageant um, together at the local school and as as John and Judy are trying to develop this relationship you're just watching what you just saw as two people portraying you know coitus to now being these 
they acted like little kids on their first date. It was just, mm. it was so sweet and endearing. Somehow they made that storyline sweet, and I don't know how. <laughs> it should not have been. Well, what's interesting to me is like, when you think about it, that that's like a legitimate career for people, and it's just something you never think about when watching film. So it was nice that they kind of like humanized what that kind of career would be. I, I just found it like totally sweet. And I was saying, I said it to you guys already, but I'll say it again for our listeners. Um, I was telling Tom and Julia before we started recording that most of the time I catch this movie annually. It's on TV. I don't pop in the Blu-ray. And this scene is completely cut in the States because uh, channels here are a lot pruder than they are on international venues. And so when I watched this film earlier today, like I was taken aback because I forgot all about this plot line. So I was pleasantly surprised. It was like semi new material to me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I find it very cute and endearing as inappropriate as it is. Sweet part. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it just shows how, it's kind of like the Colin storyline. Like it, it, it's proven this one can literally be lifted out and it doesn't make a difference at all because mm-hmm. they're not connected to anyone else. Are they just like the Colin one? Was just there. at the story, just at the, the, sh- the, the kids play. That's the, no, no, I know. But, w- but were they connected to any of the char- other characters? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. That was their whole connection aside right, from, okay. aside from Heathrow. So, so is it three storylines that have no connection? It's the uh, Bill Nighy one. I forget his name. The musician one. And mm-hmm. Billy John Mac. And Judy. Billy Mac. That's it. It's Billy <laughs> Mac, Colin, and John and Judy. They're the three storylines that have nothing to do with anyone else, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. The others are, are at varying levels connected. Right. Okay. Yep. I just wanted to make sure I had that all straight. So then the film comes to an end and we have an... an uh, uh, a closing scene where everybody is at Heathrow airport. Um, uh, Billy tells Joe that his Christmas single has brought about his comeback. Juliet, Peter and Mark meet Jamie and his bride, Aurelia, Karen and the kids greet Harry, but Karen's reaction suggests that they're still having issues with his. Now we know full blown infidelity Thank you for telling us that and ruining that little glimmer of hope we had today, Anthony. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, Sam greets Joanna, who's returned with her mother from America. And Daniel is joined by his new girlfriend, Carol, and her son. John and Judy are married. They're going to their mm-hmm. honeymoon. Um, they run into Tony, who's waiting for Colin, who comes back with Harriet and her sister, Denise Richards, who... Greets Tony with a big hug and a kiss. Obviously, you know that's how Tony's Americans face. are. <laughs> I love Tony's face of just complete and utter shock when Colin actually walks off the plane with two women, not even just one. <laughs> um, Natalie and David are very open about their relationship. They're not concerned about the press anymore, and we in the movie. So that's they all come together. It it all accumulates at them having similar flights at at Heathrow. So this scene spent the largest, uh, the most of their budget on this scene because um, they actually they couldn't film at Heathrow, so they literally built it a recreation because they couldn't oh. get all those actors there and film in a piece. So it cost most of their budget to rebuild it. My one tiny nitpick with the scene: Have you ever seen a world leader walk out into just a crowded terminal like that? Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because, <laughs> I mean, if so, I'd be super... I've seen actors and famous people, but I've never seen a world leader. I assume they'd be a little more private. Uh, or at <laughs> least, you know, with more guards. Yeah. I, also don't, I also don't think most world leaders fly commercial. <laughs> I would ju- we would just be... Um, I just wanted to mention before we move into quotes and favorite parts and everything like that, the movie opens and closes with actual footage of people at Heathrow Airport greeting mm-hmm. their loved ones coming off the plane, which is just so sweet. Yes, one of my favorite things about traveling, especially around the holidays, is watching the reunions in the arrival area. I just, uh, it makes my heart swell. I love it. I love the way they bookended it. Yep. So great. Yeah. So I just want to mention that because those are two of my favorite parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about, can we reveal what our favorite plot line and least favorite plot lines are? Yes. And I think you want to go first. No, Julia first, ladies first. Okay, so Laura Lenny's my least favorite plot line. Um, my most favorite is Prime Minister. I'm in, one, I'm in 100% <laughs> agreement with you. Prime Minister is my favorite, Laura Lenny, my least favorite. I feel like I almost can't pick, though, between Prime Minister and Jamie. So if you're going to pick Prime Minister... I'm Which one's pick. Jamie? Colin Firth. So he would be closer tied with Laura Linney for me, just because of how s- slow I found until the climax of that, which I loved. Okay, so you can have the Prime Minister, and I'll take Jamie. Colin Firth for my favorite. Sounds I'm not going to worry about who has what. My favorite is David and Natalie. My second favorite, uh, which is a very close tie, is Jamie and Aurelia. Mm-hmm. And my least favorite that I think the story that could be, could do without is the Colin and Tony story. Wow. Ah. So we're also, we're all pretty synced up because Colin's my second least favorite. Yeah. He but was it was funny at least. It was no funny. It was funny. Oh, well, was it, yeah. And I just want to reiterate for me, at least like the least favorite storylines I still enjoy due to the strength of the acting and the writing. For sure. And I do want to credit the writers too, because the way they weave together all these stories is super impressive and super talented. And I know American filmmakers have tried to rip it off three times now, Valentine's day and mother's day and new year's Eve. And they have yet to even come close to getting to this level. Even though uh, I personally have a guilty pleasure for New Year's Eve, but favorite scenes and quotes, and I'm going to steal it. Um, Okay, my favorite scene is when David Hugh Hugh Grant is on Downing Street, and he's introduced to Terrence, the head of the Downing Street staff, and he says, "Oh, I had an uncle called Terrence once. Hated him. I think he was a pervert, but I very much like the look of you." Um, I'm going to go with the heartwarming quote and it's literally the first quote of the movie and it's a David voiceover and I'm just going to read it in full. It's not that long, but I just love it because it embodies, I love it. It makes my, it makes me so happy. So he says this voiceover happens over images of people greeting each other at Heathrow Airport, real people. And he says, whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General general opinion started to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. 
Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from people on board are messages of hate or revenge. They're all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. And I just love that. That's a great one. I love that one. And it, that's a lioness moment right there at the very beginning. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like uh, an exchange between Sam and Daniel. Daniel's Liam Neeson to get us onto that plot line. And um, they're kind of plotting the whole how to win over Sam's young love. And Sam goes, by the way, I feel bad. I never asked you how your love life is going. Daniel kind of laughs and he goes, no, as you know, that was a done deal long ago. Unless, of course, Claudia Schiffer calls, in which case I want you out of the house straight away, you wee motherless mongrel. (laughs) (laughs) And Sam goes, oh, and he goes, no, no, we'll want to have sex in every room, including yours. (laughs) You wee motherless mongrel. That was such a disturbing line right there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's another David quote. And it's during his press conference at the U.S. president, and the U.S. president just touted their special relationship, and David pushes back against him. And he says, I love that word relationship. Covers all manner of sins, doesn't it? I fear, I fear that this has become a bad relationship. A relationship based on the president taking what he wants and casually ignoring all those things that matter to Britain. We may be a small country, but we're a great one, too. The country of Shakespeare, Churchill, the Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter, David Beckham's right foot. David Beckham's left foot come to that. And a friend who bullies us is no longer a friend. And since bullies only respond to strength from now onward, I will be prepared to be much stronger and the president should be prepared for that. And he gets this big round of applause and his sister calls him immediately after and he answers the phone. I'm very busy and important. How can I help you? And she's like, have you gone completely insane? And he's like, you can't be sensible all the time. (laughs) Oh, I love that scene too. I like the scene where Daniel's concerned about Sam and he calls Karen and he said, I'm afraid there's something really wrong. You know, I mean, clearly it's about his mom, but he might be injecting heroin into his eyeballs for all I know. Karen says at age 11. Well, maybe not his eyeballs then maybe just his veins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have a Billy Mac quote that I quite like because he's hilarious and everything he said made me laugh. I like it when he's on the music show or whatever it is that he's on with like the teeny bopper group. And he goes, hiya kids. Here's an important message from your uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs, become a pop star. They give it to you for free. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I like when Karen is uh, talking to her daughter after she rushed Liam Neeson off the phone and she's like, so what's the big news? We've been given our parts in the nativity play and I'm the lobster. The lobster? Yeah, in the nativity play. Yeah, first lobster. There was more than one lobster present at the birth of Jesus and the daughter's just like, (laughs) duh. (laughs) I love it. I could quote this movie, by the way, all night long, but. Yeah, I've hit all my faves. I do have another one, and it's when Alan Rickman's describing the Christmas party, and he's like, not my favorite night of the year, and you're unhappy, and it's your unhappy job to organize it. It's basic, really. Find a venue, overorder on the drinks, bulk buy the guacamole, and advise the girls to avoid Kevin if they want their breasts unfondled. That just made me laugh, because I've been to some really crappy work Christmas parties in the past. 
<laughs> and I would be remiss if I didn't mention whether or not you like the scene between Andrew Lincoln and Keira Knightley. They're silent acting, both when she's watching the wedding video and comes to the realization he's in love with her as he's cringing behind her. And then later on when he's doing the cards, the silent acting between the two, they're both really great actors. Mm-hmm. So I liked, they are. The, I liked both of those scenes as well. But uh, I, Even though he didn't kill anybody in this one, I liked it too. <laughs> Coral. Yeah, that's all I, that's all I have to... All right. Uh, does this movie pass the Linus test? Yes. On, on every level. The, there are very few storylines that I don't feel did. Um, Colin doesn't seem to have a Linus moment. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton doesn't. <laughs> Anybody have any final thoughts? Uh, I think I hit. Uh, yeah. I, don't think I could go any further. I think I hit every final thought I could have. Mm-hmm. The only other one I had is it could be a bit more Christmassy. I like it, but I think it's more of a Christmas film that I could... If it was my wife, Sarah's Christmas Candlelist, it'd be in her top three, and she's not as in love with all this Christmas stuff as I am, and I think part of the reason she likes it isn't it that it was it wasn't as overtly Christmas as like a lot of the films we cover. And I, uh, yeah, I just, but yeah, I'd miss out watching it every December just purely because I have so many overtly Christmas films to watch instead, but I do try to watch it at some point annually every year. So rankings. I'm going to give it an eight. Julia. I'm giving it an 8.5. I gave it an 8.25, which puts us at 8.25. Oh, we were all pretty close. Guys, we agreed on this one. Like, we're all really in sync with this one. This is the closest we've been in, a, in quite a while. <laughs> like, quite a while. That brings this movie in at right after Home Alone. So our top list, the, the top movies we have now has number one is Elf. Number two is The Santa Claus. Number three is National Lampoon's Christmas. A tie for number four is The Muppets Christmas Carol and Mrs. Santa Claus, followed by Home Alone, and then Love Actually. I am super happy with that list. Like, that's such a good... I'm proud of that list. Like, if we were to end the podcast, I'd be proud of that list. Mm Mm-hmm. Me too. So I feel like there's a, um, a line of demarcation here. Where, for me, after Love Actually, there's a, a starker decline in the movies than above all. All of those top movies would definitely uh, are much more are much better for me than the ones below it. There's a there's a definite line of demarcation. I 100% agree for the most part. <laughs> I and I feel like it's going to be very hard to knock one of the top three just based on how much we always differ and have different opinions. Like it's going to take something magical to knock one of the top three. Like one magic Christmas. <laughs> if that didn't do it, I don't know what will. Me and, me and Charlene, uh, loyal listener. Hi Charlene. We're joking around on Twitter earlier 
about a glimpse and I was like, yeah, I often wonder what kind of glimpse would be in if we had all watched One Magic Christmas growing up and where it would rank on the list uh, <laughs> now if we had the nostalgia behind it. Mm. But. As far as feedback, we did have, I did get texted today about this movie from one of our listeners from episode one, um, Amanda in the Seattle area. She says she loves Love Actually. It's one of the greatest movies, if for no other reason than it features Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson together. It certainly simplifies the complex nature of love, but other than that weird kiss in the Notting Hill alley, it hints at the implications of each decision. The deleted scenes are beautiful, and if you haven't seen the one about the school headmistress, then you have no business recording your podcast. (laughs) She also said that watching Hugh Grant white boy dancing is the most hilarious thing ever. Mm-hmm. And because of this, and because of that, she had jump as her ringtone for, for years. <laughs> so, so um, I got a text as well, feedback. And the line was, if you need somebody to write in and tell you how overrated this, <laughs> this film is, let me know. And that was from somebody who's listened to us in the beginning as well. It's just a friend I've known for a long time. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> Um, but on, on Reddit, people were really excited. Uh, that Revit guy and Din White Duke both love this. I'm going from memory, but they both love this movie for mm-hmm. sure. And Disco Fifty Four says he's not sure it's a Christmas movie, just because only two plot lines really deal with Christmas, where the rest don't. But he did think this was a great Christmas movie for the non-Christmas people. Absolutely, I agree with that Which, too. It is. It is. If but I don't think any of those people are listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you are, please write in and tell us what you think and like, let us know how you found us and why you listen. I'm really, I'm really curious. Anthony, how'd our poll turn out? Oh, the poll. Okay. So we asked on Twitter whether or not any of you would be interested in us covering the movie Clue as one of our Patreon episodes, given that it's being remade right now and that Tom has never seen it. And both me and Julia grew up on it. And 56% of people, a majority said, heck yes, we should review it. So it looks like people want us to review it guys, which makes me so happy because you want to talk about a movie that's going to have a lot of quotes and favorite scenes. Like that one's going to be like all, all quotes. Yeah. What was the, what was the breakdown of the other two votes? So 56% of people voted. Heck yes. Clue is awesome. And then it was a tie. 22% said I'm good either way and stick to holiday movies. So really, we could feasibly say 78% of the people were, were, are in favor of it. For those of you who are not aware, if you go to Patreon, you can support our podcast. And in return, we will send you stickers and cards and love and create content that you and only you get. And it just helps us to, to grow the podcast. We're working on another giveaway we'll have here in the next few weeks to give you some late winter Christmas feels for one of our lucky listeners. So go to Patreon and search Tis the Podcast, or it's linked from our website. You can also support us with um, ratings and reviews, um, particularly where you get your podcasts, because it helps us get found in searches. And 
above and beyond that, if you just want to chat with us sometime about anything Christmas or not for that matter, um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, on our webpage at tisthepodcast.com and on our subreddit, tisthepodcast. Um, we really like to talk to y'all, so come talk to us. And next week... Next. I'm not excited about next week, guys. So You're next not? week, I'm well. I haven't seen this movie. Neither have and I. I'm very worried about movies of this nature. Our movie next week. If you want to get a head start and go ahead and check it out, so you're prepared for the conversation, is the animated feature. Is it DreamWorks animated or Sony animated? It's one of the subpar, not Disney animated features. <laughs> Is how I view these. So I'm going into this bias. I'm a little afraid. Um, I think we all are. Yeah. The movie The Star, which came out, I think, just this past year, right? Yep. So animated movie, I think, depicting um, the nativity story with reference to the animals around the story and following the star is how I know it. I'll say this. I haven't seen it. I know nothing about it other than a trailer that was less than impressive, but it has a tremendous voice cast. I'll give it that. I will I'm go in great. with an open mind, though. So, well, I'll try. <laughs> I'm a lot happier about the fact that there are only 316 days until Christmas. We're almost out of 300. <laughs> That's only 45 more weeks, which makes it sound a lot closer. And I'm excited because two more weeks, we're out of the 300s, guys, already. Goodness. All right, so that wraps it up. All you listeners, have a great week. We will see you next week for The Star. Bye. Bye. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around me And so the feeling grows It's written in the wind Everywhere I go So our next one is Sarah, Carl, and Michael. And uh, mm-hmm. Sarah is, she's an American who works at Harry's Graphic Design Company. And she's been in love with the company's creative director, Carl, for years. At the Christmas party, they finally connect. And he drives her home. They kiss. He goes up to her apartment. And then Sarah, who is played by Laura Linney, gets a phone call from her mentally ill brother, Michael, who's calling her from a mental uh, hospital. Um, we see her struggling with, you know, being his primary emotional support and, and his caregiver. When she, you know, she goes to visit him and he physically attacks her. It's just, it's a very difficult place for her to be and she has this chance to be happy you know something she's wanted for so long but she ends up ending things with Carl so she can sit on the phone and listen to her brother during his breakdown it's really sad